Now, this is very interesting because I hope that you are following the message that I give because the previous message, and I hope you get some sequence on this, um, I've started in the book of Hebrews and I was dealing with Hebrews chapter 1. Now I'm dealing with chapter 2. And let me say that this will eventually be published as a book. I'm looking at the person who out to edit it at the moment. Um, and I do believe that just as we've done with so many of the other messages and series like Ephesians and so on, this has to be a book because um, although you could hear me preach it like this, in the book I can expand it even more and bring more out. Now, in the Mess, the previous message, I was referring to chapter 1, to the person of Jesus who's given, exalted by God, his Father, and, and is his Son, is the very Son of God. I mean, this book, this, this book of Hebrews, is written not to the church, it's written to the Jews. Uh, and, and this is why, in writing to the Jews, the whole concentration on this part is on who Jesus really is. And so, if I just uh, take the uh, end of the first chapter to, to, to link up, uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13, simply talking about Jesus, he says, To which of the angels did he say at any time, Sit on my right hand, and I make your enemies your footstool. The angels, who are they? Huh. Verse 14, they're all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will be the heirs of salvation. Mm-hmm. As I move into chapter 2, let me just say here, heirs of salvation. Salvation is a heritage, an inheritance. Come on. Um, in Ephesians, we deal with inheritance, but here, this is the importance of salvation. We inherit it through the death of Jesus. An inheritance comes when the testator dies. Okay, Jesus died, and we live. So in chapter 2, now we move on, and he goes on to say, therefore, because of what I've said, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we've heard. And by the way, I'm now dealing, in the previous message, I was dealing with the New International Version. I'm actually back in the Authorized, because I like this one. Therefore, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. You know, Paul says quite expressively, faith comes by hearing. Uh-uh, have you got it? Faith, the greatest gift to me, oh, the greatest gift of God. Faith, the gift of faith. That's what I asked for. That's what God gave me, and I've, I've lived by it. But Paul does expressly say, faith comes by hearing. And so he's emphasizing here, as Paul, he says, we need to take heed to the things which we've heard, lest we should forget it. 
for verse 2, if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, mm -hmm, angels talking, yeah, and every transgression and disobedience received a reward or a punishment, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect a salvation so great, so powerful? And then it begins to describe it in verse 3, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and then was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. So salvation came from the lips of Jesus. You know, the Old Testament is only looking forward to the death of Christ. You know, I always used to argue with my father and say, how did people get saved in the Old Testament and so on? And he always said, in the Old Testament, people were looking forward to the cross. And we today look back to the cross. The whole center of salvation is Jesus. And here he's saying, Paul is saying, the word spoken by angels, yes, you can trust it. But how can we escape if we neglect the salvation which was first spoken of by the Lord Jesus and then was confirmed by the witnesses that heard him? So really, I mean, all right, we have it all down in writing now. We have down the New Testament. But remember, the early church didn't have the New Testament. It didn't even have the Old Testament quite in the form that we know. It was, it was just simply the Jewish scriptures. So what Paul is saying here is that the evidence of salvation comes the spoken words of Jesus heard and repeated by those of us, well, by the apostles and by all of us who've experienced it. So salvation comes through hearing, through the hearing of the word. That's why it's so important to preach the gospel and to witness. It, it has to come by hearing. And how can we escape death and judgment if we don't listen? These are very strong words. Verse 4, God also bore witness to it. Now, the scripture is, does say, and, 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 and we're going to see this in, the, in this chapter, that Jesus came and the witness of Jesus as to who he was was the signs and the miracles. Because there is a scripture which says, and I quote this so often when I'm preaching the gospel, Jesus was a man confirmed of God by miracles and signs and wonders. The confirmation that he was the Son of God was the miracles. And that's why we still need the miracles as the witness and the evidence today. And that's why I, I've seen as an evangelist traveling in, uh, in all the places that I've been to, the biggest evidence of the truth of the gospel I preach is that God works miracles. In other words, God backs up the word that we preach. It needs the tangible signs. It had to be with Jesus. I mean, I'll ask you the question. Would they have followed Jesus and recognized him as the son of God if he just lived an ordinary life like us? I doubt it. It was the fact they saw the evidence here was a man appointed and chosen by God. 
and confirmed with the miraculous. So God confirms the word with signs and wonders, with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his word. And then in verse 5, for he's, Paul is still drawing a comparison between Jesus and the angels. For he says in verse 5, uh, unto the angels has he not put in subjection to the, the world to come wherefore we speak, but in verse 6, in one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you visited him? Jesus. Verse 7, you made him lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. This is Paul speaking about the Lord, the Lord allowed him to be made lower than the angels in that he became a man, suggesting the angels are higher than us. <laughs> and yet you crowned him with glory and honor, and because of his obedience and because of what he did, you, O oh God, set him over the work of your hands. So by his obedience, Jesus was put in authority over the work of God. Verse 8, you put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put everything in subjection under him, there's nothing that's not put under him. So here it's saying, and, 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 and this is absolutely clear in the scripture, that what God did was put all power and all authority in the name of Jesus, so that everything is subject to him, all powers, all authorities, and uh, all other gods or religions or whatever. But now we don't yet see everything under subjection to him. No, there's a lot of opposition. Not everybody is following Jesus. But, verse 9, we see Jesus who was made lower than the angels because he had to suffer death. Now you've got the reason. The angels can't die. Jesus had to die. But in dying, he was crowned with glory and honor that he would taste death. You see, Scripture is right clear that the last enemy is death even overcoming sickness and everything. The last enemy is death. But the one thing that no human being can do, you can't overcome death. You can't overcome death. There's no medicine. There's no doctor. I don't care if you live to 100, 120 like I might do, but we can't avoid death. I think somebody said there's only two things certain in this world. It's a joke, but they said the only two things certain are death and taxes. <laughs> yes, but the Son of God had to taste death for us. Verse 10, for it became him, that's Jesus, for whom all things and by whom all things are created in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect. So 
if Jesus is to become the leader and the head, the head of the body, the head of the church, he has to lead from the front and has to suffer and even experience death to prove that he, Jesus, has broken the curse of the devil and the curse of death and rose from the dead. Verse 11, for both he that sanctifies and those who are sanctified are one. Mm. So if he became one with us, we become one with him. For this reason, Jesus was not afraid to call us brothers. Wow. What a what a relationship. We're sons of God, daughters of God, brothers with Jesus. And in verse 12, saying, I declare thy name to my brethren. Mm. This is God saying about Jesus, I will declare your name to my... Do you get this? God is actually saying, and Paul's quoting it, I will declare the name of Jesus to my brethren in the midst of the church. I will sing praise unto you. And again, verse 13, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Then you come to verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. That's us, the children of God. We're the children of God, the people of God. This is the whole thing through Jesus. Jesus died in order that we could be adopted. That's the whole purpose of the new birth. We're born again uh, into the kingdom of God. We're born again as children, sons and daughters of God. And here he's saying, very, very clearly, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, Jesus himself took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. Oh, oh have you got that? The one who brought death to humanity was not God, but the devil himself. It's clear. It says that through death, Jesus might destroy him, that Satan, who had the power of death. Yes, that is the devil. It's absolutely clear. Paul is clear. He it says it's the devil. So in other words, death is the final gift of Satan. The devil himself imposes death. You know, I, I don't think people see it in this light, and maybe even I, until I really began to study this, didn't see it in such a, such a strong and positive light, that the devil controls death, created death. And, and, and because of the temptation on Adam and Eve, he brought death on the rest of us. But what Jesus did was in coming, he defeated that and became the first one to prove that the power of the devil is broken and defeat even the power of death. 
so that death has no hold of us. I have eternal life. Come on. The Bible says we have eternal life. When? Now. Now. I mean, the body might die, but this is only just, a, just an old temple. But the real me can never die. And then in verse 15, in order that Jesus could deliver those who through fear of death were subject to bondage all their lives. <laughs> Do you know, I've never heard preachers putting it like this, but it's so important to realize that from the moment that you're born, you're born to die. Come on, that little beautiful little baby, just a few days old, a few weeks old, born to die. Because like us, that child will die. But here it says, we are delivered because delivered those like us who through fear of death were subject to bondage. We, look, we can only live, humanly speaking, for a limited number of years. And then we get sickness and ill health and weakness and all the other things that I'm sorry for and I don't have, thank God. But at the end of it, you die, and you're in bondage. You're, you're, you're in bondage. You're a prisoner. You're captive to the fact that you're going to die, and there's nothing you can do, control it or stop it. Mm -hmm. You might have all the money in the world, but it can't stop you dying. You can be king, president, dictator. You can have all the power that Stalin had, that Putin has, that anybody has. You can have all the power in the world. You can't stop death. And I can tell you right now, sooner or later, Putin will die. Of course he's going to die. <laughs> I just wish it would be quick and put an end to some of the fighting. But it's, we are subject to the fear of death. In verse 16, how was this done? It couldn't be done by being an angel. You might, we might. Think of angels in good terms, and you know, we think of be, be an angel. You know, we say to people, Be an angel. And I know sadly that parents who've lost their children through death and sickness and, or accident often say, Oh, they're an angel in heaven. No, uh, Jesus didn't become an angel. He didn't become an angel. He took on himself the seed of Abraham, which is our life. He took on a human form, became a man like us. So that in verse 17, he sums it up. So in all things, he, it behoved him, it became necessary for him to be made like his brothers. Oh, can you understand the mercy, the greatness, and the love, and the power of God? Can you understand that in order to make a way of escape, to break the curse and the power of the devil, Jesus had to be subject to that same power. He had to be subject to the power of the devil. He had to be subject to all the things that we have. 
And you know, if you think there were, I reckon there were at least three attempts to, to kill Jesus. Um, I know, for example, when he was a baby, Herod the king ordered that all the children, all the baby boys were to be killed. And for that reason, uh, the Lord warned Joseph and his mother and they fled to Egypt to escape the death. That, that, that was, an, it was an assassination attempt. And then I believe there were other times, I think particularly in the Garden of Gethsemane, where the burden of our sin was so strong on him, it says he sweat blood. And I understand from a medical point of view that if the, if the blood vessels in your face burst, it's a sign that you're near to death. The stress, the tension, the weight of our sin. Can you imagine? Your sin that you commit, that disobedience that you inherit and that you live with, in God's sight is so severe, it puts such a burden on Jesus that when he thought about you and how to deliver you, he was under such pressure that he almost died in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. Yeah. Do you understand verse 17? He had to be made like us, that in doing so he might be a high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation. Only if he lived like us and suffered like us could he act as our intercessor. Look, we're not just praying to a holy God who's never sinned, never experienced what we do. When we pray, we call upon the name of Jesus. He's our intercessor because he lived like me. He lived like you. He went through the suffering, even to the point of death, so that he would be fit to be our intercessor and to plead on our behalf. And when good God looks at his son sitting at his right hand, when God looks at his own son sitting at his right hand, he doesn't see his son, he sees us. He sees us. He sees you, and he sees me. That's what Jesus had to do. That's what the scripture is saying. Had to be, he said, and all things have been hoped. He absolutely had to be made like us, his brothers, that he might be merciful. Mm. Why? Because he lived amongst us and he understands. That's what, that's what mercy is. He lived with us. He understands. He knows our temptations. He knows our weakness. And yet without sin. And that's how he became like a high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation before God. And in verse 18, for in that he himself has tempt, been tempted He's able to strengthen those who are tempted. Hmm. You know what that means, don't you? That Jesus, although he was the Son of God and did all that he did, 
face the same temptations to sin that we do. He faced temptation, but he didn't give in to it. But the very fact that he has faced the same temptations that we do, and because he overcame them, he's the only one to be in a position to plead with his father and say, Father, I felt like them, I lived like them, I was one of them, forgive them for my sake. Oh, what a wonderful Savior we have. You know, we're not saved by angels. We're not saved by God himself. We're saved by God who took the form of a man and lived and died as we do in order to do two things. One, to break the curse of death and the curse and break the curse and the power of the devil and set us free. And in facing temptation, to stand at your side and mine in the darkest hour, in the blackest moment, Jesus is standing at your side, holding your hand to strengthen you that you will finally get into the kingdom and share the glory of God with him. Oh, Father, just help us to understand who this Jesus really is. Oh, God, I'm ashamed of the Jewish people who rejected him. Lord, grant that we as Gentiles don't reject, but we accept him and return his love. Amen. My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. When you are committed to and support the gospel, then stand on this promise that when you give to the extension of the kingdom, God will supply all your need. Jesus called it giving and receiving. This year God has given us wonderful opportunities to preach the gospel in Armenia, Georgia and Poland. And we continue to support Ukraine by distributing humanitarian and spiritual aid. For 12 months, our staff have helped the displaced, vulnerable and injured, supplying food and medicines. To make a donation, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash donation. We would like to give you a free gift. David Hathaway's Prophetic Vision magazine is available free of charge. All you need to do is ask for it. This faith-building resource will show you the path to revival in your life and ministry. To receive this free magazine, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash magazine. God has a plan and a purpose for you to fulfill. Through faith, you will see miracles, heal the sick, and your prayers will be answered. In David Hathaway's two new books, A Faith Beyond and Power Your Inheritance, you will discover that with God, all things are possible. Order these books today. Visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash shop.